joy for me to be with you in the worship of our Lord Jesus this week. While we all wish that we could be together in the sanctuary, we consider it a gift to be able to have this time online in ways that we can honor God and reflect on his truth. Today, the scripture is again in Matthew, this time in 16, verses 13 through 20. An event that is recorded in all three of the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So today, I hope you have your Bibles. We're gonna be in Matthew 16, 13 through 20, and I will read that in just a minute. This week, we're talking about questions there are different kinds of questions, as we know. There are closed questions, which require a one-word answer. There are queries that are open-ended, inviting more discussion. There are probing questions and loaded questions and leading ones designed to take someone down a certain path. There are funnel questions, which begin, which begin broad and then narrow or vice versa. Those are useful when we're getting to know someone or looking for specific information. Then of course there are rhetorical questions where no answer is necessary at all, yet there might be an element of persuasion attached. When our kids are little, there is no end to all of the questions, especially why. When our daughter was three, I remember thinking, I have run out of answers for this child. <laughs> she has gotten me to the end of my knowledge. If you are a teacher, students are another source of questions. All curiosity and investigation is welcome, of course. But just imagine that you finish a key section on an important topic only to have someone in your class raise their hand and ask a question as if you never showed up that day. To lecture. Ah, questions. Jesus is having a little bit of that kind of experience in the 16th chapter of Matthew. He gets it first from the religious leaders who have come to him again with the same kind of question they have been asking. It's obvious they are suspicious of him, so they ask in the same various ways, why don't you just prove that you are God, although we know you can't, once and for all? Now, they, they aren't so much necessarily interested in, in an answer, it seems to us, as much as hoping to prove that he's a fraud, which keeps putting them and him back in the same place. In the beginning of this section, they come to ask for a sign from heaven, a miracle, if you will. And Jesus tells them, you can look at the weather, you can look at the sky and tell what the weather is going to be, but you can't look around you and interpret the sign of the times. He tells them that they are part of an unfaithful generation. And because of that, no sign, no more signs are gonna be given to them except for the sign of Jonah which we don't have time to talk about, but is a metaphor for the crucifixion and burial and resurrection that he will soon endure. Now, Jesus gets different kinds of exhausting questions from the disciples when they try to figure out what he's talking about. 
God speaks sometimes in ways that we don't always know how to decipher. He tells them right before the section that we read to beware of the yeast of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they wonder what this means. And they wonder if maybe he has said that because they forgot to bring bread for the journey. And Jesus, hearing this, says, Why are you talking about bread? Where is your faith? Remember, we just fed thousands of people and had leftovers. Beware of the yeast, of the teaching of leaders. And then the disciples understood. Oh, he's talking about their teaching. Now, this more full context is important for us in our study because Jesus decides to ask a few questions of his own. The questions that he asks make good sense to us because they are about his identity. And we wonder if he considers it time to probe who people think he is since the questions coming at him have a common theme of either being pretty confrontational or fairly basic. And none of these kinds of questions gets the listeners or allows him to get to a deeper place of understanding. So Jesus engages the disciples, leading them to a pivotal moment for all of them. This story is a reminder of the power of questions in the presence of God, because they can lead to new truths he wants us to discover. So Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The setting for this story is Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. It's a Greco-Roman city at this time, ruled by Philip the Tetrarch, one of Herod the Great's sons, who was 16 when he was given the region, and added his name to differentiate it from the Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. The population was predominantly Syrian and Greek, and was a religiously diverse place. There were several temples dedicated to ancient Baal worship. There was a cave where it was believed the River Jordan began, giving it meaning for Judaism. It was also believed to be the birthplace of Pan, the god of nature. Lastly, there was an imposing temple made of white marble, built to Caesar by Herod the Great, 
which was embellished later by his son. And everyone who looked at the city could see this structure dedicated to Roman divinity and power. One commentator said that it is as if Jesus deliberately sets himself up against the background of the world's religions at the time in all of their history and splendor for this moment with the disciples. The narrative teaches what we know to be central to Christianity. Each person must discover Jesus for themselves. We do not practice a second-hand faith. We are not meant to know about Christ. We are meant to know Christ. And here we see that the church is built with those who have per, uh, personally confessed that Jesus is Lord and worship him as the living Messiah. And we're going to look at four ideas that support this truth. The idea we see first is this. The truth of Jesus, who Jesus is, does not depend on what the world says about him. Jesus asks the disciples who people say he is. What's the word on the street? And their answers show that Jesus is in good company. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. Jesus is recognized as being sent from God, someone who is in the line of faithful prophets who speak for God. He is seen as a servant who cares for the people, who is trustworthy because he speaks truth. This is the highest category people had for what they had been taught from those that came before. Who would have expected God himself to show up? So the crowd gets a piece of the puzzle right. Jesus is sent from God, and part of his role is prophet. Yet they had an incomplete picture. Jesus knows what's in the heart of everyone. So this is not a question he really needs to ask for himself. Really, I think it's something he wants his followers to think about. Sometimes we can be so close to God that we stop really thinking about who he is. Jesus is helping them to reflect on the beliefs of their friends and relatives. He is spurring them to remember conversations they have had with the crowds or maybe people they have met along the way. Jesus had told the Jewish leaders to pay attention to the signs around them. One of the signs is how people talk about God, especially in time of great stress and instability. People have always had opinions about Jesus, and here we see that the people don't agree who he is. We know what those in our lives may say about Jesus. He was a good man a wise teacher, someone sent from God, maybe. Sometimes how Jesus is viewed has very little to do with who he really is and everything to do with the brokenness and the mindset of the person. That's where they can stay sometimes, settling into their truth with a sad complacency. But there is so much more to Jesus than what we think about him. And it is the job of those who know him to be witnesses of who he really is.
We serve a living God whose communication is not simply focused on the past. When God wants to do a new thing, he doesn't need to bring out the stars from before. He brought a new day by coming to earth himself, and he speaks today clearly. He heals, he guides, he convicts, he loves, he comforts, he saves. His light shines to those who are lost, and he lifts up the poor and those who are disregarded by society. The church must continue to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. We must continue to seek him for who he is ourselves. He is so vast. We never come to the end of who God is. We get to show our friends and neighbors what is possible through Christ. So let's keep teaching what he cares about and what he stands for in these days. We are living in a time of much fear and anger. So much of the future is unknown at the current moment. And Jesus says to look for the signs around us. One which is evident is where people think God is. We who know Jesus can take a lesson here and ask people who Jesus is to them in this time when our souls are stretched thin by the waves of hard things that keep happening. The truth about who Jesus is is not dependent on our circumstances, nor is it dependent on what the world thinks. And the world needs to know that Jesus is good today. He is fully present. He is working toward the culmination of the plan that he has because he is the risen Lord. The second idea is this. God is the one who reveals Jesus to people. After finding out what the others were saying, the Lord asks the best question of all. But who do you say that I am? Peter speaks for the whole group. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Messiah in Hebrew is the word for Christ, and it means the anointed one. Jesus is not just sent by God, and Peter understands that. Jesus is unique among all those who came before, different than all of the gods represented around them, because he is God. We can hear the joy in Jesus' statement, Blessed are you, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. I've never noticed before how Jesus adds this part. Peter's dad's name is John. So here, Jesus is adding Peter to the line of prophets like Jonah, who spoke what God had disclosed. Peter gets it. Think how tirelessly Jesus had been working to help people know him. Now God had spoken, and Peter not only heard the truth, but spoke, spoke what God had revealed to his soul. This should bring two kinds of reassurance to us. One is that this is God's work. He is the one who acts and makes truth known when we are witnesses of the gospel. Secondly, if it took Peter a while and he walked with Jesus every day, then there is hope for the rest of humanity for whom knowing the Lord is not always very clear. Let's pray for God 
to show people in our lives the truth of Jesus. The third point is this. The gate of hell, Hades here, will never prevail against the church because the church is built on the rock. Verses 17 through 19 are ones which have been interpreted differently across the church. Our Catholic brothers and sisters see this passage as the beginning of the papacy, where Peter is the first in the line of succession of leading the church as Pope. As Protestants, we see this as Jesus affirming Peter's confession that will play a foundational role in the church, which Jesus is establishing, which Jesus is the head of. Now, Jesus promises to build the church on the rock, which here means bedrock and is a feminine noun. Peter's name is close to that, but is not the same. His name means loose stone. One author I read said, how amazing it is that Peter will be fitted together with other living stones that he writes about later to make a strong building that Jesus calls the church. Remember Jesus says in a different place, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into effect will be like the wise person who built their house on the rock. In many ways, the church begins here with Peter's full confession of Jesus. The disciples play a big role, yet we see Peter as one of many who continue to be added to the church daily with Jesus as the cornerstone and the main foundation. What I want us to consider is how the church is built to withstand even the most harsh attacks. This picture of how the gates of hell will never prevail over God's community is powerful. There is an echo here from Isaiah 28 where the Sovereign Lord says, He lays a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Justice and righteousness will be its measuring line, and the realm of the dead, the realm of the dead, Isaiah says, will not come close to overtaking it. Amen and amen. Think about what this means. Since Jesus' death, there has been constant, a constant and steady attack on his body from the outside. Forces that have attempted to destroy his people, yet they have no real power over the resurrected Lord's presence on earth. The church is a fortress where persecution, war, pestilence, famine, and injustice can never take it down. When God's people are living in true communion and obedience to his holiness and love, evil has no chance. Even when there have been attacks and heartbreaking wrongdoing from within the church, 
Christ's presence prevails, helping us to find forgiveness and healing and redemption. This has deep importance for us today. The church is not an institution. It is the imperfect people of God, surrendered to Jesus as Savior. I don't need to spell out all the ways the church is threatened today. We are living it. Our souls are weary. And this is the time that we need to be on our knees, praying to God more. We need to be understanding and seeking the Lord for what it means that we are the church. This is not the time to focus in on our petty issues, but rather to focus more on who God is and who God needs us to be in these days. This is not the time to selfishly consume from the church and complain about it. It is the time for truly engaging so that others can be added to the fold. People who don't know Jesus, who are hurting who are angry, who don't understand who God is. God's people are going to be victorious, not in a political or a worldly way. No, the way of Christ is humility, suffering, being one of the least of these, forgiveness, standing with the poor, it is reaching out to those who are lost and don't know how loved they are. As we focus on building the church, on the truth and grace of Jesus, as we look to where God needs us to act and who he needs us to be, may we know more of his strength until he comes again. Lastly, Christians have the responsibility to uphold the integrity and grace of God's presence on the earth. There are two ideas here from verse 19 that I briefly want to mention. The first is about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There is so much we could glean here, but I like the idea that I read about this week of how buildings often have keys. Jesus tells Peter, that he is going to be given the keys to unlock the kingdom of heaven for others. And we know what happened. Peter was the leader who preached at Pentecost. Over 3,000 people accepted the Lord, and the Spirit of God fell on the church in one day. He also helped to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, as we talked about a few weeks ago with Cornelius. A few commentators I read remind us that once a key opens a door, you no longer need it. In Matthew, Jesus rebukes those who lock people out of the kingdom of heaven with their teaching. Because all who wish to enter need to be able to get in. Even in a pandemic, the church is never closed for those who seek Jesus. May we always hold the door open for those whom he is inviting in. The second part of verse 19 is a little more vague. 
Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Binding and releasing have to do with standards of doctrine and ethical conduct. In Jewish thought, it had to do with what was forbidden and what was permitted. It's an acknowledgement that there's a connection between heaven and earth. The church is God's presence on earth. The church speaks and acts under the authority of Christ, quite imperfectly as we have discussed. However, God has given his people the responsibility and the opportunity to communicate his teachings, who he is, what his plan is, who humans are in relationship to him. And we believe that we do so in order for the Holy Spirit to speak. As your pastor, I am your shepherd. And if you come to me, I will speak about what I believe to be true, about God's word for your life and presence in the world. But I can't tell you what to do. That's not my job. Only the Lord can do that. In addition, I am accountable equally to you. If you see something wrong that I have done, you are meant to talk to me. And the Spirit will bring conviction and forgiveness and assurance and ultimate restoration. Jesus uses the same language in Matthew 18, where he gives all disciples the authority to be a community, to exercise the power of forgiveness in the binding and the loosing of sin in the name of God. The promise that he will lead us to endure is seen there as well. Christians have the responsibility to uphold the integrity and grace of God's presence on earth. Man, it is a messy process, yet God meets us and brings correction to all of us as we figure out with his wisdom and guidance what we should do, how we should act, where we should go. When we look at the history of the church, we see this over and over again. God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Jesus says, go and make disciples. It is the role of the church to help form people, to help form societies and institutions and families in the way of God. We are meant to convey God's spirit in all of the places where he leads us. This is a sacred form of stewardship that we must Take seriously, heaven and earth are connected. People's eternal lives are at stake. Whatever we do for them or to them, Jesus says, you have done to me. What we do on earth has huge ramifications for eternity. So let us consider how we might bind and loose in a manner that brings freedom, and truth in Christ. When we consider it, questions of Jesus' identity are at the core of the Gospels. Here in Matthew is one of the clearest pictures we get of Messiah. Questions about God matter. 
we should make it a practice to always be curious when it comes to our faith, welcoming the Lord to ask us what He wants and what He will in our time with Him. We should invite the questions of others, knowing that God is leading them to new revelations about Him. The church is built with those who have personally confessed that Jesus is Lord and worship Him as the living Messiah. In this time of quiet, as we end, I want to ask you to prayerfully reflect on what it means to you to be part of the people of God in these days. Who can you talk to about Christ? Asking them without judgment who they think he is. Just talk to them. Allow the Spirit to guide you. And I would encourage you in your own quiet time, in your own times of silence, to really think about who Jesus is to you right now. If your faith is shaky because of everything that's happening, if you're hurting or feel disconnected or worried, if you're relying on um, something in the world more than you are the Savior who died, allow God to meet you today. Call a pastor. Let's pray and talk. The Messiah, the living God, is with his people. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.